Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. One band's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Monday, April the 6th. 2009, this is episode 100, I don't know, I really don't folks, <laughs> I can't keep track of the episode numbers anymore, it's it's either 170 some or 180 some, that's how off I am, I've had a busy weekend, uh, not in small part due to the article that came out in the uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram uh, Sunday edition uh, yesterday. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the video that they did. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of the subjects that have been brought up by that article in the uh, in the last uh, 24 hours. I've gotten a lot of emails from people that are concerned for the safety of me and my family because now people know. And uh, you know, the short answer to that, folks, is I've been doing this show for eight months. Eight months. My name's out there. Show's out there. Every survival blog and survival forum I can find online has talked about my show, pointed people here, so people already knew. Anybody that wanted to know already knew. So don't worry about that. But we'll talk about that issue as it pertains more to uh, you as an individual uh, later in uh, today's episode as far as do people know that you prep. And uh, that's going to be a big part of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, what I have to say, though, since, I, uh, since the article came out yesterday, I had over a hundred new people subscribed just to the e-notification list. I have no way of measuring until uh, until uh, today, later today, how many people actually uh, subscribed via iTunes. No way to know that at all, and no way to know how many people um, are going to come download the show but don't want to be on my email list. Uh, because of that, I have to you know kind of welcome some new folks here because we've got more new people. I guarantee you, listening to this show than we've ever had on a new show before, and there's some things that the regular audience may know that the new person may may really need to know. First and foremost, I always introduce this show as one man's view. And that's one another way of saying one man's opinion. A lot of what I talk about on this show, be it politics, be it economics, be it how to respond to a threat is my opinion. And I give my opinion as my opinion, which means you are free to object to it. You are free to disagree with it. You are free to argue with me about it. You are free, completely free as a sovereign human being on the planet, to take my information and do whatever you want to with it, including decide that it's wrong. Now, I know that might be a big leap for some people that are used to listening to talk radio, and they're listening to talk radio people that, you know, say things like, talent, talent on loan from God is one of the most famous of all people will say. Look, I will be wrong. I reserve the right to be wrong, and it's up to you out there in my listener community when I am wrong to tell me I am wrong. Now, when you say I'm wrong, it might be your opinion. 
versus facts that you bring to my attention. When it's your opinion, I may disagree with you back. If you do it on the forum, I may debate you. If you do it on my blog, I may debate you. It doesn't mean I don't value your opinion. It means I still have my own. When facts are brought to my attention that prove I've made a mistake, I always admit it, and I always thank the person who brings the facts to my attention. So please understand that as you listen to the show, especially today. It won't be that big a deal, but uh, if you keep listening, if you become a regular listener like thousands of other people have, and if you do, thank you very much for it. I appreciate every single one out there that does it. Um, You're going to hear some shows on politics and economics. If you go back and listen to the past episodes, you're going to hear some shows on politics and economics, and at times, you're going to hear me get really angry and really upset and and even cuss, and you need to know, read my disclaimers page. This is not a kid-friendly radio show. Uh, Some of them are. It's up to you as a parent. If you want your kids exposed to this stuff, listen to the episodes and decide the ones or the portions of them that you would allow to you know, be listened to by a child. This is an adult show about adult subjects. So let's uh, let's move on with real quick house cleaning. Um, and I'm going to do it as fast as I can since there's so many new people today. Uh, number one, Wilderness Way is a great magazine, wonderful uh, insights on primitive survival skills. A little bit of a different gear than we usually talk about here. Uh, but it's an awesome magazine. They are running an event called Dirt Time 09 in San Bernardino, California, end of August. I will be there lecturing with 12 other great survival experts. Uh, soon I will actually do an episode dedicated to that event, uh, probably in another month as we get a little bit closer to it, uh, tell you who's going to be there and whatnot, but there's information available online if you just want to know and go find out. I will put a link in today's show notes to that event. Region 5, which is here in Texas, and if you're a new member, don't think you're not invited. We want new members to come. We're having a big bug-out, camp-out, shoot-out event down near Gulfway over Memorial Day weekend. Just a bunch of good old boys and gals from our forum getting together, hanging out, swapping some stories, seeing each other's gear. Just a good day. Uh, good couple days camped out and uh, doing some IDP pistol shooting, eating some good barbecue. It will be fun. Come one, come all. Region 5 or not, you are welcome. Information is on the forum. Link in today's show notes. Uh, there is an audio novel uh, I am working on with David Crawford, who wrote the novel Lights Out. I am narrating it. You can get a preview, a very rough recorded preview available. Uh, link in the show notes. And uh, if I've missed anything with our house cleaning, oh, member support brigade. Uh, if you really like the survival podcast, if you like the work we're doing here and you want to support the show, we have a program called the Member Support Brigade. That's $5 a month or $50 a year, your choice. You can sign up online. In addition to supporting the show, you'll get access to exclusive members-only content not available to uh, the general public. Only a Member Support Brigade will get that content. Most of it is video form instructional stuff from me. Uh, this weekend, I had my my uh, regular bartender, uh, a former college football player, uh, Muay Thai expert, 270-pound uh, line of a bartender come over to the house and let me punch him in the stomach. It's pretty cool. Uh, we did a couple quick videos on uh, Sistema Russian Martial Arts. Uh, just a little bit, some basics, and that is part of what's being added to the Member Support Brigade today. Uh, those of you that are in the Support Brigade, I will send out an email later today letting you know when those new videos are uploaded. So, house cleaning done. Let's get on to today's subject, and that one took a little longer than normal at seven minutes. Um... 
Today's subject again is going to be this article, and I want to talk to you guys about changing the image of survivalists. And this has been a hot topic for me since the very beginning. I've said we can't continue to hide from the mainstream public. And I think that's been taken two totally different ways. In one way is how I mean it, and another way is not how I mean it. Let me explain this uh, as best I can. I had uh, an email come in when the video was published on Saturday, and I sent out an email to the net list saying, hey, here's a video interview of me from Fort Worth Star. It's about two minutes long. Uh, it's pretty cool. They did a very fair representation. Would you go by and comment and rate the video? And like 200 and some of you guys rated it five stars, and like we completely own the uh, Fort Worth Star Telegram video site now, uh, and probably will forever, because I don't think they've ever gotten 200 ratings, good, bad, or indifferent on any single video before. But anyway, um, I got an email from a guy, and he said, Jack, I went by and left you a comment and gave you a rating, but uh, do you really think it's wise that other people know that we're preppers? They might come you know, to your house if something goes wrong and, and try to take away what you have. And uh, my response to him was basically, look, everybody has to do what they think is right for them. And if that's how you feel, then there's probably a reason for it. In, in my case, I'm not really worried about that. And I left out in my email that, you know, kind of the obvious thing for me. If I'm going to do this show every day, if I'm going to get on here every day and talk to you about prepping, then, you know, it doesn't take a big intellectual leap to determine this guy probably preps and probably has some stuff stored up. And, and since I'm out there anyway, it doesn't make any sense to then turn around and try to hide. So for me, the decision's easy. The second thing is, you know, I've kind of taken things to a different level where I have what we call a, a bug-out location. And for those of you that maybe are brand new to this thing, bug-out location simply means I have a remote area that I can bug out to. There's two concepts in survivalism, bugging in and bugging out. Bugging in means you kind of hunker down where you are. You stay put, and you do the best you can under those circumstances. Bug out means that there's an imminent threat. You feel that you're actually safer if you go somewhere else, so you bug out. Now, that could be to your own remote location, or it could be your Aunt Sue's, you know, out in, in uh, like, let's say, Fresno, California or something, because the threat is local here. Here, and it's not imminent there. So your bug out location doesn't have to be some kind of uh, militant compound. And mine isn't. It's a little rural uh, three-bedroom home up in the sticks in Arkansas. So my view is I'm not real worried that you know that I might have some preps in my house. Because if things get bad enough that people are starting to burn people out of their homes and loot and rob and pillage and things like that, and you get to my house, you're going to see a note telling the bank to choke on the mortgage and uh, saying the keys are in the mailbox, do your worst. Because if we got to the point where I actually think, you know, it's dangerous to just be home in uh, my little suburb in Arlington, then all bets are off and we got to get out. So I wouldn't be there anyway if things went that far. The, the other side of this is, remember always, I talk extensively uh, in one episode recently about this, about what we call the threat probability matrix. And what we should be preparing first for is our individual disasters. Losing your job, death of a loved one, severe accident to a family member, localized weather event that damages your home. All right. These are, and the next level that you're preparing for is kind of a neighborhood level event. If you have a neighborhood level event, you shouldn't be out hiding from your neighbor. You should be out helping your neighbor, because as long as it's a neighborhood level event, there's people that can help you that aren't that far away. 
and you know that you have the potential and ability to rebuild. Even a, like a you know a small regional event, uh, which I would you know put on par like a small smaller impacted hurricane or something like that. These events are or like we had a storm here back. I think it was 1999-2000, uh, a fairly large tornadic storm that hit Fort Worth. And if you you know you live here locally, you'll probably remember that storm. It did massive damage in Arlington. It did massive damage in downtown Fort Worth. It did damage all across the region. But it was like a whole bunch of little regional events that made one big regional event. In all of those things, you didn't have to worry. If you had preps, you didn't have to worry somebody's going to come to your house and take them away. So just on probability alone. It's not the first thing to worry about. The next thing I want to point out, and this is the one that drives me nuts with, with some of you guys. I'm going to come down on some of my own people out here with this one. Okay, I get that you don't go knock on every one of your neighbor's doors and go, Hey, Tom, guess what? Uh, we prepare for disasters, and we have a whole bunch of food in our house so that if anything ever goes wrong, we can eat. We think you should do it too, but, but Tom, if, you, if something goes wrong, you can't come to our house because we only have enough for us. All right, so if you do show up, I'm going to turn you away, but I'm letting you know we have it. I understand why you wouldn't do that. If you do that, I think you're kind of foolish. And I think your neighbors are going to look at you like you're kind of messed up in the head. All right? So I get that mentality. But what I don't get is, well, I don't want to use my first and last name on the Internet. Because if people know I'm a survivalist with my first and last name, they'll come to my house to steal my stuff. So you think, I want you to make the intellectual leap here for me, people. You think the person that has their head so buried in the sand that they can't run down to Sam's or Costco and buy a couple sacks of rice and beans and put them in some buckets and throw them in a closet, completely, totally unprepared, no way they're going to handle the situation at all, completely going to be without, have to make do with what they have, totally unprepared. Is that unprepared? But... They've gone out and made a list of people, found their first and last names in forums, did a public record search, found their home addresses, and made a target list that they're going to go steal from if we have a national level or global level disaster. Do you you really think that? Does that even make sense? To me, it makes no sense at all. Now, again, I think there's a lot to be said for what we call OPSEC, or operational security. Not making everything known. Not making your location explicitly known. Leaving your location as Laredo, Texas, versus 123 Any Street, Laredo, Texas, 75051. And some of you ask me, why do I have my address on my email? Because to be compliant with the law, I have to. And again, because if something goes wrong enough that you come here, I won't be here when you get here. I'll be somewhere else. So I'm in a little bit of a different situation. I also live in a fairly nice area in Arlington, Texas. And we have to be in a really bad state before people start raping, pillaging, and, 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 and you know ransacking and looting in a neighborhood like mine. Am I saying it cannot happen? Absolutely not. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying we got to go way down the drain for that to happen. Now, the guy that emailed me, when he emailed me back to my response, this is what he said. He said, well, you know, I live in Detroit, and the hood's basically one street away from me. All right, the hood. And, uh, you know, I've seen things, people talking about the roving hordes aren't going to happen. Well, I have them right now. They're already out there. They've been there for years. And you're in a different situation. 
Obviously, if something goes wrong, that guy's got to get out of Dodge. He's got to move. Uh, it'll be one of the first places that'll you know be burned to the ground if riots start. So you know you have to look at your individual situation. And I'm not coming down on anybody that lives in a place like that. If you live there, you probably have to. And you're still awake, and you're still aware, and you're still doing something to make where you live better and who you are better and your probability of survival if something goes wrong better. So great, and I understand I would probably keep a bigger lid on the situation if I lived in a place like that. I probably wouldn't do the survival podcast. But what I want to make you guys realize, some of you guys have been listening to this show for close to a year now. I've gotten emails from you saying things that range from, because of you, I'm keeping my family more healthy. We're growing a garden. I didn't think we had it in us to do it, but you've talked about simple ways. We've slowly added on, and this is what we're doing, and thank you. Some of you have sent me emails that say, you know what, I started listening to you in the summer, and you said, there's a huge market crash coming. This is not the time to have your money in the market. Take your money out of the market. I've had numbers given to me voluntarily anywhere between sixty dollars and $300,000 that people have saved in their investment portfolio because they took my advice this summer and moved the money from investments into cash and just waited for it. And if, you know, I'm not going to tell you when to buy back in. If you're waiting for me, I'm not a stock analyst. I'm not an investment advisor. I'm telling you, we're buying some little cherry pick stocks right now and small amounts, 1000 bucks here, 500 bucks there, just because we believe the economy is going to eventually recover. We're keeping still right now. The majority of our investments are in secure investments that are not subject to major market risk. Not ready to buy mutual funds yet. But, so, all of these people that have had all these positive results because of the show, what if I took the mentality of the average person that's into survivalism and I said, I'm going to hide my identity. I can't have people knowing who I am. I can't put myself out there. Folks, I can't do this show and pretend to be something I'm not. I can't have credibility with you if I don't tell you what my name is. The reason that we relate to each other, audience to show host, so well here, even when you vehemently disagree with what I have to say, is because I'm a real person, you know who I am, you can email me and I'll answer you. I'm like a radio show host. If you email me, odds are you will get an answer. If you don't, I'm sorry, I was just too busy. If you email me more than once or twice, you're going to get an answer. If you comment on my blog, I'm probably going to answer you. If you respond to something I've already posted to in the forum, I'm probably going to answer you. I might not answer everything on my forum because there's thousands of posts there and I can't do that. But I'm accessible. You know where I am. You know where I live. You know my address if you're on my email list. And the only way that I can be completely on the level with you is to not hide who and where I am. Now, when I move to Arkansas, I'm out in my remote location. Uh, I'll get a P.O. box. And the address on the show notes will be a P.O. box. You'll still know I live in the Hot Springs area. You'll still know my name is Jack Spierko. And you'll still know that I care about you as an individual. And what I'm saying, folks, is we can't spread survivalism to the unknowing if we continue to completely hide who we are. Now, again, you make your own decision for yourself. And, again, I wouldn't be drawing any maps to my home for anybody and then telling them not to show up. I'll cover real briefly an email that I got recently on this subject. I got an email from somebody. Here's what they said. They said, Jack, uh, you know, we told uh, some good friends of ours, a couple that we're, we're great friends and we're very close to, finally we told them what we do. 
that we prep. We have some food stored and things like that. And uh, that you know, we even told them about your show. We told them that we think they should do some of this too. And the one woman responded to the other simply, "Oh, well, we'll just come here." She wanted to know how I would answer that. Well, I would answer that. Well, what are you going to bring with you when you show up? Because in a scenario that we're talking about, we can't take in people that don't bring something of value with them. So if you're not preparing yourself, what are you going to bring of value? And it's not personal. And if it was a three-day event because you lost your home to a fire, we'd open the door and take you in. But if we're talking about a major catastrophic event where people are hard-pressed, how are we going to be able to take you in? And tell them the the ant and the grasshopper story. And say, if you're going to be a grasshopper, you have to understand the harsh reality of winter eventually may come and you may freeze to death. And we'd hate to see it happen to you. And we're not going to, we're not just, letting, well, you're going to let it to have, you're going to let this happen to us? No. We're not going to let it happen. That's what I'm telling you now. <laughs> I'm telling you now to take some simple steps. I'm telling you now to put some cash away into a strong box or a safety deposit box or a fire box. Don't have all your money where you can't get your hands on it. Don't have it all electronic. Have some cash. Have some electronic cash as well. Don't put all your money in the stock market. I'm telling you now, have more than three days worth of food in your home, one week worth of food in your home, two weeks worth of food in your home. Understand some of the biggest risks that are out there are not anywhere in the extreme of people having to do anything. I think, to me, one of the biggest threats out there, folks, and for new folks, this is this is one that you've got to get your head around because it will make you take this seriously, is the threat of a global disease pandemic of one form or the other. And if you're thinking, oh, that's that bird flu stuff that they talked about, it never happened. First of all, that apathy is what's going to, what's going to turn around and bite you like a rattlesnake right in the ass. It really will. That apathy, right there, that thought, oh, that bird flu, it never happened, that is one of the most dangerous thoughts. You've got to purge that out of your head. And the reason you have to purge that out of your head is bird flu is not gone. Over the past five years, I think I calculated its death rate at like 66 or 82%. I've done a lot of calculations, though. I don't remember what one it is. But it's more than half the people that have gotten it have died. It's significantly more than half. The virus has continued to mutate, and the only reason it hasn't, you know, become a pandemic or an epidemic yet is that right now it's in a form where it only transmits itself from animal to human. Once it's in human, it's not adapted yet to a point where it can transmit from human to human. But that's the threat. That's the danger. And every time there's a generation of virus, there's a potential for a mutation that will allow it. All right? And I don't want to get into a biology lesson. And we're going to do a whole pandemic show very, very shortly again, because I think we need to do it. But just to put this in perspective for you, a generation of humans is, what, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years now? Okay? An individual generation, we're talking 20, where there's parent and child, 20, 25 years. Unfortunately, some of our kids are having babies at 13, 14. But call call it 30 years for a new generation to be established as children, and another 20 years from the grow up. So we're saying 50 years in between you know, birth and, and maturity of a new generation. In the viral world, that happens in 72 hours and three days. There's a new generation. A new generation. A new generation. A new generation. Every three days. And in multiple hosts and in multiple different types of mutations, there's literally a million mutations a day popping up of every common virus that's out there. And whenever one is better at surviving 
in the host, infecting the host, cross-infecting to other individuals, and resisting our methods of treatment, it begins to pass its due traits on to the succeeding generations. Very, very simple fact. And that H5N1 bird flu thing didn't go away. The press just talked, talked, stopped talking about it because people got bored with it because they talked about it too much and they sensationalized it too much and they didn't give you the raw facts. The raw facts are there's this disease. It's highly infectious from animal to man. It's under control a great deal right now. The danger is it might mutate. If it does mutate in a way that allows human-to-human transmission, it could be a catastrophic event. That's the risk. It's low right now. But the possibilities there, we need to keep an eye on it. That's the whole story. But we had episode after episode of the news when this thing was hot. And there's a new little girl today that ate a duck. And she, you know, all this nonsense. And they made such a big deal out of it, Americans became pathetic toward it. And there are tons of other diseases. There's a disease called Nympha. N-I-M-P-Y-A, something like that. It comes from bats comes from the saliva of a bat that eats fruit. And this disease was unknown until 1999. Uh, in, the, in one year, it had a very limited infection rate of 12 people, but 11 of the 12 died. Its death rate is well over 80% of people that are infected with it. Fortunately, it's been easily controlled because they figured out how people were getting it. Uh, these places in the uh, uh, the Far East where they collect date palm juice, uh, the bats come and drink the date palm juice, and then the saliva gets in the juice. The people drink the juice, they get the disease. But think about how many people it could kill if it mutated, or if something similar to it that we don't know about yet. And then think about the fact that nobody even knew about this disease until 1999. In our microwave generation, 1999 seems like a long time ago. It's not. 1999 is 10 years ago. 10 years ago, this disease wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't even on the map. It didn't even exist. And why are these diseases so important? Because, folks, this is a harsh reality. If you go to the CDC website or pandemicflu.gov, these are both government websites put out by our government to release this information and make it public to us, they'll tell you if you read the whole thing, you just read everything, nothing hidden, that if there's a major epidemic or a major pandemic that threatens life, that basically the only recourse is to issue quarantines, tell people to stay put, and let the disease run its course while scientists and doctors try to figure out how to stop it, spread, prevent it, and develop it a vaccine. And then even if they had the vaccine in hand today, proven and working, it would take six months to get the vaccine stockpile up high enough to be to do, able to do public injections at a significant level anyway. So it's a 90-day to six-month minimum event of quarantine. And my question to you is, if you had to stay home for four months and not go to the store, because it wasn't an option, because there were guys with guns from our own military in our streets wearing masks to protect themselves, forcing a quarantine, not because they're evil, not because they hate us, not because they're part of the New World Order, because it's the only way to save lives, how well would you do in your home right now for four months? It's a very sobering thought. And one of the reasons that I like to talk about disease with new people to this is it doesn't require any belief in anything other than the power of bacteria and virus to infect humans. If you don't believe in that, you wouldn't be listening to me. You have to be a pretty irrational person to not believe in that. 
It doesn't require anybody to be an evil, mad scientist genius. It doesn't require any of the tinfoil hat conspiracy stuff. It doesn't require any of that. All it requires is an understanding of biology at the most minute or at the most uh, you know macro level, a level that the third grader is taught about biology. People get sick. There's germs that cause the disease. The germs transmit from one person to another. There's diseases that we do not understand and we have not seen yet. And as they are released on the human population, we do not know what the results are going to be. If it happens, the only thing we can do is stop the spread by isolating individuals and waiting for the disease to pass. During that time, you are going to be alone. That's simple. you got to pull your head out of the sand for that one. If you don't, you're not ready to wake up yet. So, you know, what are some other things that maybe we've learned by doing this article? I think we've learned that we can trust the press to a degree. A degree. Now, let me explain to you guys something about how I did this uh, this interview and how I agreed to this interview. I talked to uh, Melanie McDonald before we did the interview. I discovered what the angle of her story was. It was, there's local people that are doing this that are normal and just like me and you. So I did the interview. If her angle was, I want to see the crazy eccentric survivalist, it would have been pretty clear, and I would have done the interview. But... I still think we now kind of owe a little bit of a thank you to, to, to Melody. So I'm going to publish her email address briefly. I'm going to do it without one of those hyperlink things, though, in the show notes. I'll do it like her name and then a space and then the app symbol and then the Star Telegram uh, domain. But I'd like to ask you, if you've read the article, uh, saw the interview, if you think she did a good job, if you think that, for once, the mainstream media really treated the survival community fairly and did an open, honest, unbiased piece that doesn't sensationalize the survivalist community, I'd like you to just send her a brief email and just say, Melody, thank you. I appreciate that. I want to overwhelm. This is the same way we should be treating our elected officials. And if Melody, if you're listening to this, don't be offended by it, but it's the same way you train a dog. Right? The dog does good, pat him on the head. The dog does bad, you hit him in the nose and you throw him out of the house. Well, when a congressman votes a bad way, or, or is going to vote a bad way, or introduces bad legislation, something you personally disagree with, whether I agree with it or not, you disagree with it, you pick the phone up and you call him, you let him hit, hear it, you hammer him. Hey, what's wrong with you? And when he does something right, even if you don't like what he does 99% of the time, you call him up, and on the other side of things, you say, thank you for your support of. Well, when the media does something good, we need to overwhelm them with a positive response. That doesn't mean you give away your address and your first and last name. Don't mix the two topics. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about a response. Because I guarantee you they've already gotten more response to this uh, article and this video on their website than they've ever gotten from anything. I can see, just looking at the raw numbers, that that is the case. So, consider sending Melody uh, an email of thank you. And consider now that you know, I've talked in the past about kind of going on a public relations campaign, and this is kind of a first step. And this one, I didn't really seek it out. It kind of came to me. It was referred to me, actually, by uh, Riverwalker, uh, the guy who runs the blog, one of the Texas Preppers Network blogs, uh, was asked by Melody if, if uh, I guess, you know, if you know anybody that will talk to me, since she won't. And uh, he said, well, this Jack guy, you know, you might want to talk to him. He's probably not going to hide since he's out there anyway. And I appreciate the opportunity there, Riverwalker. Thanks for it. Um, so, 
we, we really do have to look at how we can continue to, to put a better positive image on what we do. And here's my point. Those of you that are worried that in a breakdown, people will come take what you have, the more people that have what they need, the less people will have a need to go take. And I know there's those of you guys in the tinfoil hat brigade that think that the government wants us all dead and wants to exterminate us. And if you do, I, I can't help you. I, I really can't help you with that thought. I, I can't pull you away from it. You're, if you believe that, then there's certain parts about your personality that have made you believe that. It's going to be up to you to determine what the real truth is. But I believe that in most instances the government does try to help as best they can. That they do respond. That there there was help for people in Hurricane Katrina. It just took a daggone long time to get there because there's a massive amount of incompetence and bureaucracy in our government. But sooner or later they actually do bring as much help as they can. Well, the more people are prepared the less people there will be dependent on whatever level of help there is, even from our incompetent, bloated corpse of a bureaucratic mess of a government. They still get certain things done. They should. They take away trillions of dollars of money from us every year. they got to do something with it. And uh, so I, I think that the more we can do to spread this around, the better. Another topic that came up was, I had a couple people email me about the video, and in the video, it's 90% me, the garden, and my cat. And my cat apparently upstage me because a lot of people really think the cat's cool and they like the cat. So, been upstaged by my cat. But there's some still photography built in his slides while I'm talking. And one of them is me with my little Caltech carbine. Uh, with uh, my army hat on, and uh, it's not like an army camo hat. It's like a black and gold, you know, uh, prior service cap that I wear a lot of times. And uh, they said, I don't know that we really needed the uh, the, the, the firearm shot. And uh, you know what I My thought is, and I think most of the people on the forum feel this way that have responded about it, that it's actually done very well. It doesn't look like some crazy militant militia. But you know what? I believe in the Second Amendment. I'm an NRA member. I have an NRA sticker on the window of my truck. Okay? And I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm an NRA member. I'm not going to hide the fact that I believe in the Second Amendment. I'm not going to hide the fact that I go down to Alpine Range quite often and throw some lead down range. I'm not going to hide that at all. We have a firearms uh, set of boards in our forums. Every survivalist board forum community out there has a area for firearms. It's integral to who we are. We believe in independence and responsibility and being responsible for yourself and providing for the safety of your family and yourself immediately, and you let law enforcement and government do its job when it shows up. So if somebody breaks in my home, I might dial 911 if I have the opportunity, but I'm pulling the 45, and if the situation looks like there's a threat to me or my family, when when they show up, they're going to be calling for an ambulance because the guy's going to be horizontal on the floor. I don't want to hide that. I also don't want to look like some militia whack job painted up in camo, crawling around in the woods, and hiding out in the middle of nowhere. So there has to be a balance, and I think we found that balance. And I would say that you don't have to hide the fact that you believe in the Second Amendment. When we start hiding the fact that we believe in the Second Amendment, 
the lawful possession of firearms, the other side wins, and we lose that right. And, and to me, I've said this before, you can have any opinion you want on gun control, as long as we follow the Constitution. <laughs> okay? I mean, that's, that's why it's easy for me to be a libertarian in the United States, because I'm always falling back on, well, as long as we follow the Constitution. The Constitution is a system of checks and balances, not just on your different branches of government, but on the people themselves. So if the people come up into this big swing of popularity of something, it's really a bad idea. If we follow the Constitution, it makes it very difficult for it to happen. And it gives us time to actually think and go, do, do we really... Do we really want to do this? Is this really a good idea? Didn't we learn anything when we amended the Constitution just so we could prohibit the use of alcohol? Wasn't you know? Wasn't that kind of a mistake? Um, so, you know. I, again, I think that the firearm shot, I think it was a good, tasteful shot, and I don't think we should hide the fact that part of survival, survivalism is tactical. Part of survivalism is I carry pepper spray on my keychain. Now, why would a guy with a concealed carry permit that exercises his right to keep and bear arms, that lives in a state that believes in that and allows me to do so, why would I carry pepper spray? What the heck do you need? with a $9 little tube of pepper spray in a case on your keychain when you're allowed to carry firearms in this state. My question is, do you want to shoot somebody if you don't have to? And I think most people know I don't want to shoot somebody if I don't have to. Well, there could be situations you can extricate yourself from, hand-to-hand, or pepper spray, without having to draw a weapon. You know, I, I don't ever want to put my sights on another human being for real in my lifetime. I don't ever, ever want it to happen. I'm prepared for it to happen. I'm, I'm ready for it to happen. I'm willing to act if somebody's life or my own life is at stake. But I sure don't want it to happen. And that's why I do things like carry pepper spray. But, but you have to be responsible for yourself. This is a very traditional American value. Nobody ever considered the old Georgia farmer that drives a tractor and plows 40 acres every year and runs his little farm to be a survivalist. But if you show up at night and you try to rob his house, you're probably going to get both barrels of an old L.C. Smith double-barrel shotgun. Why? Because defending your home is a traditional American value. You don't get to come into my home and take what's mine. I'm sorry. You don't get to do it. So we're not going to hide that in this community. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that we can learn if we start looking at the way that we're perceived versus reality. But I think one of the biggest things that we have to start doing is if we want to be perceived differently than somebody, and I'm happy to be one of the people willing to do it, but I think more than just me, we need to put ourselves out there. We need to be willing to say, look... This stuff's important. This stuff matters. And it doesn't make you crazy. Because I'm sure there's people that read that article that just came out that went, man, I've always felt sort of like this. I, I understand what these people are saying. These people don't look crazy to me. I don't see any camouflage in any of the pictures of these people. Even the bomb shelter guy doesn't sound crazy to me. He's selling the city governments. He's selling the major corporations that have a contingency plan to keep their businesses or their municipalities running if something really bad happens. These people aren't crazy. They just understand that sometimes things go bad.
and that you have to do something about it. So are there people out there that if you told me your entire situation, I would then turn around and say, yeah, yeah, you know what, where you're at, where you live, where you're stuck at right now, you should keep quiet. But if your plan is to leave your home anyway, why are you that afraid that someone might use public data to find out who you are? And for those of you that have been posting on the forums for years under your little forum handles and think that your identity is completely concealed, most good computer users could figure out who you are if they really wanted to anyway. It doesn't mean you need to you know, put a welcome mat on the door uh, or anything like that, but just understand there's not as much anonymity as a lot of people seem to think. And, and you can't run around being paranoid. You can't run around worrying that somebody's going to figure out what you have and come take it away because if we ever get into that state, it doesn't matter. And here's what I mean by that. So what you're telling me is, Jack, people know you're a prepper, so they'll come to your house in your neighborhood and take what you have if the shit really hits the fan and if we end up in this really doomsday scenario. Uh Uh-huh. And my house is in this suburban area, high population density in Arlington, Texas. Well, yeah. Okay. So by the time people need to do that, they won't come anyway to all those houses. So by the time that we're talking about lawlessness, we're talking a road warrior breakdown. We're talking the, the, the most finite, long shot you know, scenario. The furthest out on threat probability, highest on prob- highest on impact, right? Low probability, high impact, Mad Max, beyond Thunderdome, people running around, roving hordes, motorcycle gangs, thugs, gangbangers, people starving, plundering, pillaging. So they're going to come to my house first. First of all, I would tell you this. Those people aren't going to be organized enough to have any idea. They're not going to make a list. Here's my hit list. I'm going to go to all these houses where we survival are. Second of all, if they were smart enough to make that list, they would make that list so they could avoid those houses. What you'd want to do is you'd want to go to high population densities, because even if only everybody has a little bit, if you raid a 1,000 houses, you get a lot of stuff. Okay? And the second thing you'd want to do is you'd want to avoid any house where a survivalist lives, like the plague. Because the survivalist is the guy that's going to shoot you. And he's probably got a wife who will shoot you. And he might have an eight-year-old son or daughter who will also shoot you. And when you're trying to raid a home, the people in the home have the advantage. Unless you have air support and military hardware, and then all bets are off. Right, so if it sounds like I'm going a little bit out there for the newer folks, I am going out there. I'm going out there with the people that I know are already out there. See, I think that these scenarios are a long shot. I don't think we ignore them, but I don't think it's the main things we prepare for. I think the main things we prepare for are to make sure that we live our lives in a sustainable manner so that we can live up to the credo of the show, which is living a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. I think we need to focus on improving our lifestyles and our ability to sustain our lifestyles in good times and bad, in hard times and in easy times. To stock up in the summer like an ant so we can live well through the winter because winter isn't just a season, folks. It's a metaphor. And sooner or later in your life, winters will always come. And the other constant we learn from that is sometimes winters are long and dark and colder than we can imagine. But sooner or later, springs and summers always come as well. So you don't survive 
you don't take a survivalist mindset on so that you can, you know, live in a hole. You take a survivalist mindset so you can make it through the tough times, so that you're in a good position to make the most of things when they turn around and come back because society always rebuilds itself. And I'm going to finish up with this thought. I've been asked that as well. Jack, why do you believe, even if there was a total breakdown at some point, that society would put itself back together? And my answer to that is simple because that's how people work. That's how people are. That's how people think. And what I mean by that is if we took a great big island with enough stuff on it that people wouldn't starve to death. Enough natural food and enough initial supplies so that people could figure out how to build something sustainable for themselves. And we put a thousand people on that island and we left it to itself. Would some people go bad and kill? Yes. Would there be some murder, some rapes, some things like that? Yep. There are in Sheboygan, Illinois, too. All right, It's not unique. That's part of the human condition. There are good people and there are bad people. But if you came back to that place in about five years, while a lot of people may have died from illness, sickness, disease, and from the malicious that happened to be among the room of a thousand, no matter how hard you tried to make sure there were none there, there'd be some. You know what you'd find? You'd find a little mini-community. They'd probably be living somewhat of a tribal existence. They'd have a hierarchy set up. They'd have people in charge of law enforcement. They'd have people in charge of agriculture. They'd have people in charge of engineering. They'd have people in charge of water gathering and purification. They'd have people educating children, and there'd be new children. There'd be babies being born. There'd be some level of dwellings put together. There'd be a semblance of small town or small village lifestyle put together. Eventually the population would get large enough that if most of the people were located in one area, they'd begin forming communities on other areas of the island so that not everybody was on top of each other. They'd come to an agreement on certain ways that the society would be run, how certain issues would be handled. They would build a little microcosm of the societies that exist from the tribesmen in Papua New Guinea to the United Nations in New York City. And by the way, that's not a plug for them. I hate them. I hate them so much. <laughs> Just so you know. But it's it's still a constant that humans rebuild. That humans seek some level of order and some level of safety. And they seek community. And I think that's the big thing that we can do here is we can build community. Now again, folks, this is not running out and telling all your neighbors that I'm the local community survivalist and I have all the stuff when things go wrong. But it's also not about being paranoid. It's not being a turtle with your head deep in the shell. It's reaching out to other people. And the reality is the Internet's a great tool for that. And the people we should be reaching out to are the ones that have expressed an interest first and the ones that we love first. You should tell your brother, your sister, your cousin, your uncle, your aunt, hey, look, I think you should pay attention to what's going on out there. And all I'm saying is live a little bit more like Grandpa did. And that's a great way to explain this whole thing. We're not running off to... uh Bo Grites had a community up in Idaho for a while called Almost Heaven. 
where you can go buy some acreage and, you know, the community worked together and they patrolled at night and made sure nobody came on the compound. And it was actually some pretty rational people when I, when I you know, looked into it. But it seemed a little bit crazy, honestly, all these people living up in the mountains of Idaho by themselves, you know, in this little enforced uh, community, private, you know, community. But it, actually they seemed like pretty decent people and uh, pretty, you know, normal people, really, that just wanted to be away from everybody. And uh, I probably could have went there and lived happily. Uh, but it's not a good way to introduce somebody that's totally uh, totally foreign to them, this entire concept of self-reliance, independence, and self-sufficiency. So, you know, it's kind of an all-over-the-place. And my shows for the new people are usually a little bit more organized, a little bit better outlined. But I just wanted to kind of answer a lot of the things that have come in from people that are genuinely concerned. And I want to get you thinking. If you're a long-term survivalist, you've been doing this stuff a long time, you've been prepping a long time, you know how to store your own food, you know how to grow your own food, I want you to get thinking about the fact that it's time for us not to be an underground movement anymore. And I want you to understand that my goal is for us to take this country back from the corporations and the politicians who are flushing it down the toilet with arrogance, incompetence, and malice. And it's those three together. It's not all malice. A lot of it is people that think they're doing the right thing, but they're incompetent. And they're arrogant. And the only way they're going to get their way, and they're going to get all of these government programs that we can't afford, and they're going to have all these bailouts and socialized control of industry and all this other stuff, is for people to think that there's no other choice, for people to feel helpless, for people to believe it's a crisis greater than the Great Depression. Oh my God, we're going to be in soup lines. Help us! The more self-reliant people we make, they may disagree with you. They may be a Democrat, you may be a Republican. You may be a Constitutionalist, they may be a Libertarian. It doesn't matter the party. We follow the Constitution. We accept the limitations of government inherent to it. We do the things that are right, and we all have common principles. We don't have to agree on the issues. All we have to agree is on the principles. And the nation is designed to run that way. But it's also a nation that was given to people that were given the greatest place of liberty that ever existed. It was granted to a free and independent people. A self-reliant people. It's like if you give a man with no arms a saw, it's going to be very difficult for him to cut a piece of wood in half. Give the saw to a man with arms, he'll cut all the wood you want. Make sense? Well, you give this nation its liberty, its constitution, its history, its freedom, its independence. You give that to a people that are self-reliant that are willing to stand up for themselves and their family before anything else. And they build the greatest nation on the planet. If you give it to a people who have become dependent on masters of government and masters of corporations, that sit and wait for help instead of give it to others, and they throw it away. That's not the way I want this nation to go. I want this nation to be strong. I want it to be powerful. I want it to be independent. I don't want us interfering with people all around the globe. I want us to stay at home as best we can. And when somebody messes around in the wrong way with us, I want us to give them a bloody nose really quick. I want to follow the concept of uh, 
Teddy Roosevelt, who I don't agree with everything, but I do agree with speak softly and carry a big stick. But the only way that we can make the most of what we've been given is to understand the gift and to understand our individual power, our individual capabilities, to be independent people that stand up for ourselves and our families first. And other people that say, like everybody used to say in this country, this family doesn't take charity, I'll provide. If we can get enough people doing that, we'll put this place back to where it belongs, and a lot of things that we prepare for will never happen. There always will be those things, though, that we cannot control. Natural disasters, things that are going to occur no matter what we do. That's why we prepare. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.